Hello and welcome to a special episode of State of Asia, a podcast from Asia Society Switzerland. My name is Remco Tanis. Oxford debates are a recurring event at Asia Society Switzerland. Over 2022, we hosted debates on the state of democracy in India, on major shifts happening in the world of semiconductors, and on the hurdles women face in climbing the ladder in South Korea and Japan. Most recently, we discussed whether China has reached its global peak. For the first time in 30 years, China's economic growth will fall behind that of the rest of Asia. The zero-COVID strategy of President Xi Jinping, even if it's loosening now, has pushed down everything from manufacturing to mobility and consumption. Worsening ties between China and the United States are putting further pressure on China's international trade. In this special episode of State of Asia, you'll hear two experts from our recent Oxford debate explaining why China has reached the peak of its global powers. And you'll hear two other experts arguing why that's not the case at all and there's still room to grow for China to become more powerful still. An Oxford debate runs on very strict time limits, which really forces the debaters to think of their strongest arguments for or against the motion. So we really like the format here at Asia Society Switzerland. Our Oxford debates see stellar experts frame complicated issues into clear, well-thought-out statements. That's why we wanted to share the arguments from our experts in the most recent Oxford debate with you here on the State of Asia podcast. Let's dive straight in. First, you'll hear from Simona Grano, senior lecturer at the University of Zurich, where she is also the director of the Taiwan Studies Project. Simona opens the debate with a four-minute statement explaining why she thinks China's global power has indeed reached its peak. So let me start with a statement. Global power is the expectation that a nation has actually an accelerating capacity to compel others and achieve its own interests. And in this regard, we can definitely say that China's power has peaked. Expectations for China's power are decelerating for profound political and economic reasons we're now going to look into. So in November 2021, the CCP Central Committee argued that China was faced with unprecedented external risks and challenges. In the same year, the Communist Party released its new national security strategy 21-25. Now, shortly after, China legislatures actually passed a raft of national security legislation on topics ranging from criminal procedure to border security, regulation of NGOs, data security, counterterrorism, cybersecurity, food safety and other threats. One can actually draw a direct line from these threats to each of Xi Jinping's signature initiatives, his anti-corruption campaign, his efforts to strengthen patriotic education, ideological indoctrination, and of course the party's penetration of society, as well as his push to assert party control over the military and of course other domestic uh, security apparatuses. These are not the premises of a healthy country focusing on its global power or on relaunching its sluggish economy. We have also seen a further enhancement of security threats against which the party needs to be vigilant during Xi Jinping's speech at the 20th Party Congress, and the CCP is deeply worried about possible challenges to its political role. But let me now briefly address all the sources of advantages that China enjoyed and that are now gradually eroding. So if we look back to the early times of the reform era and all the way up to the 2000s, actually China was nearly self-sufficient in food production, water and energy. It enjoyed at the same time the largest demographic dividend in history with 10 working age adults for every senior citizen aged 65 or older. China had a secure geopolitical environment, easy access to foreign markets and technology, all of this invigorated by friendly relationship with the United States. And at the same time, China's government was actually skillfully able to capture 
capitalize on these advantages by undertaking, of course, a process of economic reform and opening. So we can say that from the 1980s to 2010, more or less, China really had the right mix of environmental conditions, people and politics to thrive. However, since the late 2000s, all the drivers of China's rise have either stalled or completely inverted. For example, China is running out of resources, water has become scarce, and the country imports more energy and food than any other nation on Earth. China is also facing a demographic tipping point. Between 2020 and 2050, the country will lose a staggering 200 million working-age adults and gain 200 million older people. The fiscal and economic consequences of this will be devastating, with more expenditures going forward concerning both social security and medical care. And to make matters worse, China is actually turning away from the policies that encouraged rapid growth in the past. Under Xi Jinping, China is sliding back towards totalitarianism. The economic loss caused by these trends is actually intensifying the slowdown that would have occurred anyway as a fast-growing economy ages. The Chinese economy, we know, has been losing momentum for more than a decade now, and its official growth rate has actually fallen from 14% in 2007 to 6% in 2019, and studies currently suggest that the actual growth rate is close to 2.5%. Worst of all is, of course, the fact that most of the growth has come from governmental stimulus programs. So there are four main problems that will likely prevent the PRC from sustaining rising global power. Depth, demographics, water scarcity, and lack of a sufficiently educated population to join the ranks of rich and developed countries. As Scott Rosell teaches us, no country with less than 60% of its population having completed secondary education has succeeded, and the average percentage for the PRC is 37%. And I will stop here. Next up is the opening statement from Bates Gill, the executive director of the Center for China Analysis at the Asia Society Policy Institute. Bates argues that China is not at the peak of its global power just yet. By any objective analytical and numerical measurement of global power, it is clear that China has not peaked and will not anytime soon. Here are my reasons. First, we have to recall that power is a relative concept. Whether China is rising or falling can only be answered accurately by also asking, in comparison to what? For example, we know that relative to the United States and most others in the international system, China's comprehensive national power across economic, technological, military, and other metrics is rising, not declining. Yes, we know that the pace of China's relative gains has slowed in recent years in some respects, but they are gains nonetheless, and the gains continue, therefore they have not peaked. Second, the basic facts also tell us that across economic, technological, military, and political metrics, China's global power continues to grow and has not peaked. Let's take technology. China overtook the United States in 2019 in the number of patent applications worldwide and has world-leading access to data, a commodity critical for the advancement of artificial intelligence and other emerging technologies. China will also continue to expand its lead in green technology as the largest producer of wind energy and taking the lead in, in the development, use, and export of other green and low-carbon energy technologies such as lithium-ion batteries and solar photovoltaics. China will also continue to lead in the development and export of other important technologies of the future, such as high-speed rail and electric vehicles. China's power to shape the global market in these and other technologies is still growing, not shrinking. It's also a fact that China has maintained strong positive perceptions throughout much of the developing world. China retains solid majority positive perceptions across Africa, 
and amongst many of its Asian neighbors, such as Singapore, Pakistan, Thailand, Cambodia, and others. In the latest Afrobarometer polling completed in 2021, 63% of Africans across 34 countries said that the economic and political influence of China in their country is either somewhat or very positive. These are hardly the polling numbers of a country that has peaked. To take another example of China's growing global power, the country's military capabilities are far from peaking, either quantitatively or qualitatively, actually quite the opposite. And here's just two examples. China now has the world's largest Navy with some 355 ships to America's 295, and that gap is widening, not shrinking. The growth in China's nuclear weapons arsenal has been even more dramatic, with China surpassing France to become the world's third largest nuclear weapons power in 2021, and on a pace to triple, triple its intercontinental range nuclear missile force in the next several years, thereby expanding, not diminishing, its global power and reach. According to the 2022 U.S. National Security Strategy, China is, quote, investing in a military that is rapidly modernizing and growing in strength and reach globally, unquote. Believing that China has reached peak power is not only wrong, but can be analytically dangerous and sometimes seems to be based more on hope than on sharp analysis and basic facts. Will China's power peak someday? Of course it will, just as other powers over the centuries have peaked and fallen. But to address the question we are debating this evening, has China's global power reached its peak today? The answer is clearly no, not yet. So now you've heard both opening statements, it's time for each team to get a chance to say what the other side gets wrong in a rebuttal. The first one you'll hear right now comes from Dan Rosen, who is the co-founder of Rhodium Group, where he leads the research on China. In this debate, Dan partnered with Simona Grano, arguing that China has indeed reached the peak of its global power. It's probably for the best that the evidence on the relative strength of the West, uh, which Bates described, actually points the other way. As market democracies do, we are adjusting. We're learning from mistakes, getting back to our growth potential, which we seem to agree here is the wellspring of power, getting past COVID, back to growth, investing in technology in a massive um, uh, and exciting new way, and emphasizing cooperation among uh, the advanced market democracies. I have much less joy to observe that our opponent's outlook for China, for example, Dr. Uh, Gill's uh, 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 suggestion that the gains continue, as uh, uh, Bates says, is faulty, in fact. We all want a stronger China in some ways, a China that can shoulder greater global burdens. We want its potential to uh, grow its markets so that we can sell into them. And we want an innovative China that starts contributing to net global technological capabilities rather than coercing technology away from others. But the arguments we've been offered for that happening here are deeply flawed. That China can lead in exporting green technology at a time when in Europe we're talking about carbon border adjustment mechanisms designed to uh, offset China's unfair trading uh, behaviors. The uh, surveys uh, that have been mentioned showing a positive use of China and Africa are only some surveys. There are many others that suggest the other way. And China's focus on building up its weapon stocks, this is 
a 19th century definition of power. It's not a definition of power fit for the 21st century. Let's look closer at the actual economic wellsprings of China's power and the reasons why its foundations are cracking today. In the real world, beyond political slogans, there are four components of economic power growth. First is business investment, which has accounted for almost half of China's economy the past 20 years. Foremost within investment is property, then heavy industry and infrastructure. All of these are suffering from rampant overinvestment, crushing debt loads, and are either starting to default actively right now or headed toward that fate. Even parts of the more promising high-tech space in the economy uh, are overcapacity and cannot maintain the debt-driven investment model they're using today. Second is household consumption. Here, too, debt has been a rising part of the story of Chinese household consumption growth. And lately, in addition, unemployment, previously unseen at the levels we're learning about today in China's cities, is taking the wind out of the economic sails. Even before we turn to look at the cold blanket of bungled zero COVID policies that's diminished uh, China's growth. Third, government spending today cannot come to the rescue because it's dependent on selling land to property developers which, as we just noted, is already in default. And finally, exports. China's uh, uh, ability to assume, as Simona uh, noted, that it could just keep exporting forever is absolutely at its limit. The world is starting to push back on that. With the right policies, China could rekindle the fires of sustainable growth. But as Simona explained, the political tools and social underpinnings needed to implement those policies are missing. Green growth, common prosperity, zero COVID. These are great expectations, but they're simply not possible with the singular focus on struggle, struggle, struggle against everybody and everything that Beijing is trumpeting today. We need to get very real about that urgently because that's the reality we're dealing with. And now arguing the world will still see a more powerful China in the future. Here is Rory Daniels, Managing Director at the Asia Society Policy Institute and a senior fellow at the Center for China Analysis there. I think that the side arguing that China's power has peaked has made a compelling case that China faces a lot of economic and political headwinds and that it's deeply unpopular. Its system of governance is deeply unpopular among market economies. But I ask, is that actually a measure of its power? And does that evidence actually suggest that China's power has peaked? China has put itself in a really important important and critical pivotal position in the global economy, where it is the largest trading partner of many of the major world economies, including the US, the EU, Japan, Korea, Australia, New Zealand, Brazil, ASEAN, Taiwan, just to name a few. It is in between the developing and the developed world importing from one and exporting to another, but it is increasingly becoming the top import destination for many of these large economies. Um, So the idea that it is going to export forever and that is the only way that China can achieve economic growth is, I think, flawed. China also has the ability to tap into um, its own domestic consumption to import from some of these more advanced economies. It's very integrated inside the global economy, and that also means that pain felt in the Chinese economy will reverberate throughout the world. So as a measure of relative power, as China's economy slows, so too will trading economies in the rest of the world. Um, No matter what happens with 
China's economy, it still plays this pivotal role between East and West developed and developing countries. And factors of power do not only include economic strength, but also the ability to tip the scales on pivotal moments of global concern. And what China has shown is that when it comes to making difficult decisions between what our opponents have described as rigid ideological and dogmatic standards and much more practical, um, pragmatic and flexible choices to keep itself integrated into the global economy and the global political system as a whole, China tends to choose the latter. Let's take, for example, the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. Despite a no-limits partnership with Russia announced just before the invasion, China has not financially or materially supported Russia um, in the face of U.S. and Western sanctions rather than choosing the ideological path which which it is politically aligned, it has chosen the much more pragmatic um, path of its own domestic national interests. All of the problems that have been um, that have been focused on by the other side are actually areas where China has uh, a considerable amount of room to grow and improve. Um, not only that, China's state market system has some advantages in um, directing influence, compelling countries, as Simona has stated, to make choices critical to its own interests. And as long as its domestic interests are integrated into this global fabric, it will continue to want to and pursue the growth of its power. Um, on the whole, China still remains very healthy relationships with the governments of the developing world. The demand signal from the developing world is quite strong in terms of wanting China's model of development and investment and trade. So China may be facing headwinds, but it is flexible and pragmatic. It's often followed the path of taking two steps forward, one step back and then sliding two steps forward again. It is very premature to say that China's power has already peaked when it still has substantial room to both grow its total power, but also to use it much more effectively. That was Rory Daniels. During the live recording of this debate, we went into a 20 plus minute Q&A where our experts dove much deeper into the issue. It's a really good watch and it's available on the Asia Society YouTube channel. The link is in the show notes. For this special episode of the State of Asia podcast, however, we'll jump straight to the closing arguments, in which all four of our debaters made a final attempt to win as much support from the audience for their side of the debate. First, here is the closing statement of Simona Grano of the University of Zurich, who debates that China has reached the peak of its global power. So China's long-term demographic, economic and environmental pressure, as we have heard, are increasing. And there is little the CCP can do to actually stimulate economic activity to rival the boom years of the past. The political climate also points to tougher market conditions going forward with less liberalization, more centralized control and a bigger focus on national security issues. In other words, China's future role on the global stage in the foreseeable future depends on its internal stability and on the development of its political and socioeconomic conditions. But the authoritarian nature of China's political system and lack of transparency will further damage its international image and also weaken its soft power. Whereas the huge economic gap 
between coastal and inland provinces will contribute to increased social inequality and instability in Chinese society. And lastly, an aging population will lead to a slowdown of the Chinese economy, while the damage to natural resources suggests severe ecological and environmental problems going forward in the future. All these negative factors will hurt China's drive for modernization and also its quest to sustain rising global power. Also, the lack of transparency in its decision-making process will not be conducive to its cooperation with neighboring countries, as well as with the United States, as we have talked about before and then mentioned Japan. And to this point, one of the biggest challenges I see going forward, and potentially, in my opinion, really also the one that could shatter completely China's relations with the West, is its attempt to extend sovereignty over Taiwan. China, like Russia in Ukraine, is stuck thinking about power in 19th century terms. But sadly, that is how they signal that they want to proceed with Taiwan. But is that what power really means in the 21st century? I think most of you listening tonight will agree with us that it is not. Thank you. Countering Simona and arguing China is not yet at its peak, here is Bates Gill of the Asia Society Center for China Analysis. You know, we've made the point that power in the international system is both relative and, of course, we have to think about it as being comprehensive. Uh, That is, a country's power needs to be placed in the context of its relationships to others. And, of course, it's not a matter of economic power alone, which is where our counterparts have mostly mostly focused uh, their arguments. Um, Dan asked what we have to say about 0% growth in China today. Well, of course, we know that that's not going to go on forever. And even if it meets the targets, which Simona mentioned, of of just merely a 2% growth rate going forward, Um, That's half the size of the Swiss economy every year. That's growth. Whether you (laughs) want to call it that or not, that is growth. And as long as China is growing, then we have to say that it's not peaking. That's another point I'd like to add here. It's all true that these headwinds are mounting. We all understand that. But I think the peak that we're all talking about is not today. The peak that we're all talking about is probably 10 or 15 years out still even as these headwinds begin to really take shape. So to say that China's peak now is simply analytically incorrect, and as I've suggested, may even be dangerous in thinking that that might be the case. Um, Yes, China will peak someday, uh, but that day is still in the future. Uh, And to think otherwise, I think is both unwise and risky. Thank you. Now making a final push to convince us that China has reached its peak is Dan Rosen of Rhodium Group. The peak, as Bates and Rory have noted, is relative. China, a $17 trillion economy growing at 2%, will never outpace the United States, a $26 trillion economy growing at 1.5%. Or if that passing point happened, it would be a century from now. If China and its leadership of Xi Jinping can be pragmatic, I'd vote no on the proposition today. No, China's power has not peaked. If, however, China continues with a kind of rigidity, which has characterized it over the past seven or eight years, then I think you really have to vote yes. China's rise as a power, as we've known it and expected it, has peaked. I think you have to ask yourselves, as you get ready to vote on how we all did here today, whether you think General Secretary Xi Jinping is more likely to behave in a pragmatic manner or to continue in a more rigid manner of statecraft, and then your vote is pretty much decided. I hope you will stick where I where I remain to be, though I've learned a lot here as well, and vote yes, that we need to look past the notion of rising Chinese power. Because once we come to that 
realization, once we accept that, we have an awful lot of work to do because there are profound, profound consequences from that conclusion. There's less China market for us to sell to. German car companies are in deep trouble and need to adjust now, not wait another five years to do so. There's less Chinese ability to subsidize development in sub-Saharan Africa. If we're concerned about migrants pressured by climate coming to our shores today, we have a much bigger problem than we thought we had. And sadly, China is much less able to afford its own decarbonization, let alone help us pay for ours. The global burden is going to remain squarely on us in the advanced market democracies, and I think we need to prepare to shoulder that burden. Closing off this Oxford debate, arguing China is not yet at the peak of its global powers, here is Rory Daniels of the Asia Society Policy Institute. Um, I would like to make the following points about China's rise under Xi Jinping. Um, Under Xi Jinping, China's economy in 2021 grew 8.1%. So while it may achieve zero growth in this year, at the most pessimistic end of the scale, um, year-on-year growth last year was well over target. And I think will continue to be over target as China pulls away from these zero COVID pop policies, which are deeply unpopular. Xi Jinping's first preoccupation in his seat is keeping it and staying in power. And as the Chinese people protest for better conditions, particularly for the end of zero COVID, the Chinese government is going to be flexible and pragmatic about making sure that that happens. Um, Number two, under Xi Jinping, China's outbound direct investment has grown. It was actually number one in the world last year as well. It is among the top three economies um, for overseas direct investment in the world. And that position will continue to grow. So while our opponents would have you believe that Xi Jinping is incapable of using and directing China's resources to growing China's global power position, I would argue that Xi Jinping is not. That despite a rigid set of controls at home, Xi Jinping is very invested and the Chinese government is very invested in making sure that China's global interests are well protected. Ultimately, to achieve China's goal, including being a prosperous country by mid-century, which is the premise of Communist Party control in China, China will have to be flexible, pragmatic, and invested in the global system. They will have to grow their power, and they will continue to do so. China has not peaked yet. And that's it. A very structured overview on a crucial debate that's quickly gaining steam in the world. Have we seen China at the peak of its global powers, or is there more to come? To find out which team won the debate, meaning who was able to change the minds of most people with their arguments, you can watch the entire video. A written summary of their arguments is also available on our website. I hope the arguments of our four stellar debaters gave you some valuable insights. The full video, which includes the Q&A, is available on the Asia Society YouTube channel, as well as on our website, asiasociety.org Switzerland. There you can also find all the previous editions of our Oxford debates. All links are in the show notes. And of course, there will be new debates come next year. Subscribe to our newsletter to be the first to know and to learn about the many other events we organize. To support our work, become a member of Asia Society Switzerland. All links to more info and to sign up are, yes, in the show notes. If you like this show, please subscribe and consider leaving a rating or a review. It really, really helps other people find the podcast. This has been a special episode of The State of Asia. More to come. My name is Remco Tanis. 
Thanks for listening. <laughs>